A fox knows many things, but a hedgehog knows one important thing. It's one important thing. It's one important thing. Welcome to the Spiritual Hedgehog Podcast, where we explore the role philosophy and faith play in your daily life. Here are your hosts, Sarah Gardner and Pastor Eric Dahl. So, we've been talking. You know, we've been talking about. Uh, what role faith comes into our daily life. We've been talking a little bit uh, about uh, purpose and mission and and finding our calling. And so one of the things that, uh, because of the, um, the fact that many of us are in in a crisis right now in terms of being in the COVID-19, looking at some of the mental strategies that, that one uses to uh, deal with those uh, crises that occur in our life uh, led me to do a little bit of research about this. And I found that um, there's a lot of room for faith to enter into those uh, strategies. So uh, for example, there are four mental strategies that uh, we we use automatically to deal with crisis, uh, some more effectively than others. Uh, but the first one is anchoring, which is fixating on a point of our life. Uh, quite often it's our faith, our community, um, our personal philosophy, and just anchoring ourselves uh, through a moment of crisis. And then the second one is a strategy of isolation, which is this idea of trying to dismiss any negative thoughts uh, from our life. And, and we see that through practices such as meditation, mm-hmm. uh, where we just try to go into that no mind state of, of getting rid of the worry or anxiety or the, the emotional strain, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, another strategy is distraction, where we focus all of our attention onto uh, something else. Uh, some people call it busy work. Some, you know, uh, I know my, my wife, um, will sometimes kick me out of the kitchen because she just needs to cook because she's, she's dealing with something and just wants to be alone in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then the fourth one, which really got me interested too, is, uh, the idea of sublimation, which is, um, where we would transfer that that angst, that energy into creating something uh, meaningful and actually uh, would actually create something beneficial and actually grow from the experience as opposed to being um, held back or or defeated. And so uh, in art practices like writing and painting, um, it becomes a way of making sense and re-putting a crisis together in a harmonious way. And uh, so as I thought about those things, I found myself thinking about the role faith uh, plays in that. And in particular, I found myself thinking about the seven spiritual gifts from God. Um, and, and I found a lot of, of connections, if you will. Um, you know, we go through the list here of, uh, you know, the first one being fear of the Lord, uh, which um, one that a lot of people get a little uptight about that language, but in reality, um, my perception that, and that's what I'm curious with you, Eric, is my perception of the fear of the Lord. Well, let me just read through it and then we'll start talking. Okay. About it. Uh, fear of the Lord, piety, knowledge, fortitude, counsel, understanding, and wisdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I guess 
just starting out thinking about when are that we have moments of crisis, um, the mental strategies combined with the gifts from God, give us the tools to deal with that. Uh, what are your thoughts at this point? So starting with the fear of the Lord and you know, thinking, you know, it, it, I think we're all about trying to figure out how to navigate this, this life. You know, some of it's navigating anxiety, some of it's navigating um, uh, our, our children, navigating our, you know, our, our, our families. And, it's, and we start to realize it is all about us and it's not all about us. Um, so it was interesting. Some of the things that came to mind as you were bringing up, um, thinking through some of these strategies and, and how the spiritual life connects in times of, of transition. So you started with the fear, thinking about the fear of the Lord. And, and I know it's in, even in, in, as a pastor in the Bible studies that I've led at, um, St. Mark's it's a question that comes that really bothers some people, you know, what does it mean, you know, in a day and age that I'm supposed to fear God. And, and I'm always interested that so often um, Luther even makes the movement where to fear and love God. And he, and he puts the two together. There's also, there, there needs to, where do we, where do we put our ultimate respect? Where do we put our ultimate alliance? Where do we put, and, in, in a day and age um, where we are, where so many are fearful right now uh, with the COVID-19, um, it, it becomes a question of uh, how do we focus even our fear to say that there, there is some place that can help me, that makes, helps me understand that it's more than about me. Um, um, you're to fear, fear and love God in, in the various aspects of your life. So for me, I have always heard that is, is where, where do we put our reverence? Where do we put our allegiance? Where, where do we hook ourselves? Um, rather than all just feeling like we're isolated out there, um, wandering like a, a blade of grass in the wind. Is that, you know, where, where do you go with it when you, when, when you're thinking about first of that first aspect of fear? Well, well, it's interesting because, you know, you go through the list and, and of course, I, um, I spend a lot of my time focused on the, uh, the gifts of understanding and wisdom. But um, what's interesting to me about the fear of uh, the Lord one uh, and why it kind of stood out to me a little bit. Um, and it actually related to the fourth strategy of sublimation, actually. Um, and that is fear of God as being an expression of wonder and awe. And in art, we talk about this idea of the sublime beauty um, and this idea that something is so beautiful, so awe-inspiring that it makes you remember your own mortality. It makes you remember um, that you're not, uh, this, this mortal life has a, has a limit uh, to it. And in fact, uh, just earlier um, over the weekend, I was working on a uh, series in my new uh, studio remodel, uh, home studio that we remodeled. Um, I was photographing these dead daffodils and they were just exquisitely beautiful. And I was thinking about this idea of, in art history, we talk about the still life of memento mori, which remember you, uh, you must die. Uh, 
and the idea that the real beauty of any image uh, rest in the knowledge, particularly the, the medium I work in, the, the power of photography is knowing that the subject either has died by the time you see the photograph or will die. Or in the case of these um, daffodils I was photographing, they were drying up dead and they're becoming transparent. And I was thinking about how our skin gets transparent as we get older. I was remembering my grandmother before she passed away. I was remembering um, you know, how beautiful I see my parents now as they've been uh, aging. And I was thinking about the fear of God from the perspective of remembering to see the uh, amazing, awesome uh, display of, of life that exists. Uh, and I was thinking about even now, really the fear of contracting a virus makes me appreciate uh, makes me place trust and faith in making a choice of, okay, I'm going to go out and interact with the world because I need to go get food. But it makes me so much more grateful for the interactions that I do have with the checker, or the interactions I do have with my family as I drop off groceries. So to me, I was connecting this idea of, of re remembering that gift, not in the traditional disciplinary fear, but rather in that just awe-inspiring awareness yeah 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 uh, see that's that's the word i often use is thinking about ah um couple couple things come to mind for me i was recently asked you know what are the scriptural images and obviously i'm just coming through easter now as a as a as a preacher and as a pastor and one of the things I've been clinging to more and more often is, is really this re relationship between um, death and life. So, so as you talk about, I mean, to me, what I hear you saying, right, Ira, is that, that there's just this, this, I, this realization, you know, I, I've never thought about the fact that sometimes you're taking pictures of somebody that, you know, 10 years won't be here, but there's, you're capturing an image um, of a moment in time, in space, that, that is a constant reminder. Um, as a pastor, as, as I think kind of the language I, I often look at is, I don't need to fear death, but, uh, but I want to be aware of it. Because being aware of death, being aware of um, the the chance that, you know, that, that is out there, the chance that it's out there sooner than we think. Being aware of that does help me appreciate different things in a different light. And, you know, so you're talking, uh, talking about the daffodils that your daffodils, I remember in that, yeah, yeah. that, that um, you took the pictures of, and I think you shared some of those photos with me. And I was, I, I too was struck. And I, the image that came to mind were my father's hands. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, that mm -hmm. just um, a, a month ago, I lost my dad. Yeah. And in, in thinking about knowing my dad's deep abiding faith. And, and again, for my dad, it wasn't this intellectual exercise, but it was this sense that everything is okay because, and he would use fear, you know, fear, the fear of the Lord. Um, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm struck with that because I think it is, yeah, what helps ground 
what helps ground us. You know, I too, like you, am drawn to sort of wisdom. You know, I think ultimate desire. If if when I am a certain age, certain people, number of people call me wise, I will have arrived. That would be like that's that. But but I realize even for me that that can be a false god at times. Um, and so that's why starting for me with the, the, this idea of fearing God and, and, and what does that look like? We don't like to talk about it, but it's, it's to understand that in my smallness of, of this big mass universe, there is still meaning and, and, and that, that kind of propels me forward in, in my day-to-day life that helps me claim each day when I wake up in the morning and to say, here I go again, and let's see where this leads. One of the other things that, that I was thinking about that I'm kind of curious, I, I, I want to come back to sublimation um, again and, and, and kind of pick your brain a little bit more on that because that was an, it's an interesting thought. Psychologically, when I think about um, one of the things I've, I've learned um, in working with staffs and working in family and working with family systems type thinking is that anxiety travels, right? You, you, um, uh, you can take the most anxious person out of your system, um, whether it's out of your, your work staff, whether it's out of your family system. And what I've found more than often is that doesn't just go away then. Somebody else picks it up. It's Somebody an energy picks- that exists. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I, I'm curious, moving that and shaping that more into a positive, not that, not that I want to really make the, the move that anxiety is this whole negative thing. The tension exists for reasons. It gets us to move and, and act. But thinking about in sublimation, say more of what you're thinking about there and you know, kind of where your mind was Well, and you know, one of the things I love about what we're doing is it's unscripted, it's raw, and it's going to meander into different locations. Just real quick, talking about this idea of of working with people in an office setting with anxiety uh, and the fact that the person may leave the office, but that role gets picked up by somebody else. And what's interesting about that is that really is um, a healthy thing to have, actually. It's uh, in, in... uh, we talk about in change theory, the idea of that we need a critical, uh, critical friend that is worried about and, and the, the, the doubting Thomas, if you will, or the um, uh, using all these uh, uh, terms that kind of are humorous in light of what, what our podcast about, but you know, the devil's <laughs> advocate, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and really what that is, is it's about protecting the group, the community, from going in the wrong direction. It's something that we're hardwired in. And so, yeah, the, certain kinds of anxiety or stressors or worry is actually a part of our survival mechanism and it's important to us. Absolutely. When it gets out of control is when it becomes detrimental mm-hmm. uh, to us. And so uh, when we are moved to inaction, when we are moved to inability uh, to uh, sustain uh, healthy, positive relationships, then that anxiety has moved into past a threshold of, of trouble uh, in somebody's life and, and needs to be addressed through uh, some of these strategies that we, we talked about. And we're, one of them being anchoring. And, and we, what we're really just talking about is this idea of growing our gratitude and appreciation 
for the moment, for the now, because of our awareness that life is uh, short and this too shall pass. Mm -hmm. uh, and so anchoring is, is an important concept uh, for maintaining a healthy mindset as we go through crisis. And there are lots of crises uh, that we go through in our lifetime. I mean, um, we can have death, we can have divorce, we could have loss of a job, we could have any, any number of things that can really um, fracture our sense of self or our, our, our own identity. Mm -hmm. And so um, anchoring is, is something that really helps with that. Okay. But I Can want to I, back up to you. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go I ahead. was going to say, just pick up on that thought for you, because I, I, I'm wondering, Ira, the question, the follow-up question I, I wonder about is in seeing people that, that have anchors, I mean, are, are there people that you are drawn to? What is it that, that seems to help them navigate this time? I mean, do you have, have you, have you have, do you have some guesses that? Well, that, um, so here's the interesting thing, uh, and, and we, we will not have time to cover all these, but I'd like to spend some time in subsequent episodes talking about each of these seven spiritual gifts. Um, what was interesting is you referred to your father having just this real strong um, belief without, you know, without a doubt. And, and, and what's interesting is um, when I work my way up, I kind of start at fear and work my way up to wisdom. And along the way, you get uh, counsel and the ability to uh, be discerning and make good choices. And then you get, you know, uh, above that in my pyramid I'm growing here is this understanding. And, and what's interesting about that is I think about science, I think about facts and the world of logic and thinking about times in my life, particularly at a moment of crisis that facts alone didn't make it better um, and that you can have all the understanding you want, but it takes wisdom to have the grace of, of acceptance. And it has, there's a certain point where you have to go beyond the world of facts to, to a faith uh, or, you know, there's like, there's the, the spiritual does not operate necessarily just within the confines of facts. Uh, and even then I think about the wisdom that's, um, shared and transmitted through uh, fables and parables and, and the idea that I'm not telling facts, but I'm telling a greater truth. And I think when I heard you talk about your father, it sounds like he had uh, achieved some level of wisdom that gave him great comfort. Yeah, that's, I, I think so. It, it definitely provided him great comfort, even if it drove his son's nuts at times, right? <laughs> um, because the certainty that he had it, sometimes that certainty can feel um, a bit judgmental, but then every time I'd feel that from my dad, I would just poke at it a bit and just see it open up into this love that he had um, that, that it really um, w what grounded him, what, you know, gave him uh, a centering was and an anchoring to use the language we're using mm -hmm. today what was this abiding faith that that he had a god that was going to be with him in life and in death and because he had that it made him approach life differently now that is not to say my dad was also one that suffered from depression and anxiety 
So it wasn't, it wasn't that it took those things away, but it, it gave him a hope that really did help him carry on day to day uh, that really, you know, when he was his good self going through something like this would be no different for him than um, going through the good days of life because he would know who he wanted to touch base with. He would know um, how he wanted to start his day. He would know um, um, how he needed to reach out, what he, how he would want to spend his money. And he felt very certain because he, in a sense, knew who his God was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, you know, uh, one of the seven gifts is fortitude. I don't see happiness on the list. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Right. And, yeah. Well, that's, that can be a whole, that can be a whole topic for another day. If you hit one of my pet peeves there, I remember <laughs> I, I, it, it's psychologically, I know happiness is a very important task, but I think it just gets misnamed and, and it's not, to me, it's not anchoring enough. It, you know, it's not. Well, we, we operate, uh, here in a, uh, uh, Western capitalistic society that is built. I mean, think about how many of the services you access on a daily basis for free in exchange for receiving advertising. And the advertising is trying to promote the idea of happiness, individual happiness through the purchase of products to alleviate a problem mm -hmm. uh, that you may not even know, known you had. So we, we're operating in a fundamental economic system that is dependent upon the idea of happiness over the idea of wisdom or over the idea of contentment even. Like, because the idea of contentment is, may, may revolve around being happy with what you have versus constantly in need of something more. Uh, and so happiness is, is, uh, we, it'd be worth having a whole conversation at a future date about just how do you define happiness? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I do, I, I do remember that that is one of your, uh, questions you'll quite often ask. And I think it's yeah. a good one because I noticed it's not on the list. And, uh, and I will tell you that, um, when I think about my early stage of life, um, it was in pursuit of happiness, but it was one that was based upon the physical, the sensuous, the, the, the joyful, the, the highs. And as I've grown into um, where I'm at in my life today as a 50-year-old man, um, when I'm very quickly expressing, I say, yeah, I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. But when I think about it at a deeper level, it's not about happiness. I'm, it's not that I'm uh, any more, I'm more content. I'm more mm -hmm. grounded and I'm more anchored. Uh, and, and so um, you asked me uh, just a moment ago about, you know, were there examples of that uh, in my life? And I will tell you that I have been deeply influenced by uh, a few people in my life that just radiated a, a groundedness uh, of n truly knowing who they were and every one of them defined who they were in relation to a very strong uh, faith and, and relationship with their God. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I've just really, uh, been greatly uh, influenced so that I, at least when I was going through my 
my periods of, of uh, you know, when I look back on it, it seems kind of craziness or the chaos, if you will. Um, I remember at least having those role models to aspire towards. I knew it was possible. Therefore I knew I would probably get there eventually. It's, it's, it's interesting here. And here's my guess, Ira, with those people, if, if you would, you know, if I would ask you, yeah, who are those people I should go talk to? And you, you sent me to them mm-hmm. and say, yeah, they, they really, you know, have a sense, you know, Ira says, you know, you're one of those people I should talk to. They would say, oh, Ira doesn't know me very well. <laughs> say, and the reason I say that it's, it's, and I see that in the church all the time because they also tend, not only do they have a contentment, they also understand themselves. They understand what their gifts are and where they struggle. And yet, and yet it, they don't let those things define them as much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seeing, seeing that, um, being able to, to come to terms with where they are not the best, where they are not the smartest, where they are not the greatest. And yet to, to understand that is, and have a depth of, of character that, that, that draws people to like yourself or like me to them. Um, it's remarkable. Well, Um, I'm also thinking about the, there's something else not on the list. Patience. Yeah. Yeah. That's the old jokes that go with patience. Yes. Especially tends to be, yeah. I, I prayed for, patience once and I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it's, uh, the, other, the other thing that, that, that got me thinking, um, as you know, as, as you're thinking about kind of these stages, you know, of, of, of spirituality and, and, and of growth was sort of these levels of one was this coach. I would call it coachability instead mm-hmm. of counseling there are people, you know, you know that I've coached soccer and actually mm-hmm. we met when we were coaching T-ball. T-ball, way, yeah. Yeah, way back when. And always, always love that. And the, always the people that I, that I've, the kids that I've been drawn to are those who are coachable because they're curious. And, 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 and it's, it, if there's one attribute that I think helps not, not only in athletics, but I think in, in intellectual endeavors and it's, it's this curiosity, this coachability too, that says, you know, I'm in this, I'm in this for, for a journey that I don't know the ending to. And the difference I think sometimes comes when sometimes when we're younger um, at least I, I know this was true for myself. I know I was a little bit more anxious about the journey about don't I need to arrive somewhere? Don't I need to, you know, when am I going to reach that, that point? And I'm suspecting cause I'm not there yet. I'm not to that wisdom place yet, but I'm suspecting that the wisdom isn't that you've arrived, but the wisdom is that you've come to terms with what is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's a suspicion. I'm not there yet, Ira, but that's, it's one of I think so. So uh, that leads me to be uh, thinking about, well, let's, let's, you know, you had some questions about sublimation. What's interesting is sublimation from a pure um, psychological perspective is the idea of um, taking a, 
negative behavior or, or, or a, a negative desire and transforming it into a healthy uh, habit or transferring that energy. Uh, you know, Freud would say that all of our um, drive comes from a desire to procreate, right? This yes. sort of central yes. thing, right? And so uh, in order to be acceptable in society, we have to sublimate that carnal energy into uh, socially accepted positive attributes. Um, and, you know, artists will end up taking, um, getting back to this idea of, of existential crisis or, or just getting through hard times, will take that initially and rearrange it into uh, a harmonious composition of some sort as a way to resolve or gain acceptance or understanding, uh, put, the, put it together, so to speak. And, and uh, um, that is, I think, um, the, uh, well, that is uh, what psychologists would say is the highest and best level of strategy for dealing with crisis is to actually transform it into something harmonious, positive. Um, in the case of, you know, I've, I've uh, uh, known people that struggled with, say, a drug addiction that somehow took that same uh, um, energy and then became a fitness, you know, became a, a long distance runner. Uh, and that would be, you know, that obviously is a vast improvement, redirecting that energy. But in, in overall of how do you actually move past survival to thriving, uh, there's actually an author uh, that I came across. It was so cool. One of my students brought it up today in class, and I was looking it up. I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, I was very impressed. Um, author named Nassim Nicholas Tlaib wrote a book called Anti-Fragile. And, uh, and he introduces the idea that it is through the process of sublimation and creativity that we actually gain from crisis as opposed mm -hmm. to survive it. How do we actually thrive instead of survive? And so from that standpoint, um, I find creative, creativity really helps with these sorts of issues. Yeah, I'm, think, yeah, I'm thinking about a poem uh, I'm going to miss it. It's like Keats, Keats, if the poem, it's, it's called like if, and if, if you, you know, again, it was kind of back to that original idea. If, you know, if you face a crisis with the same, um, same sort of gentleness, same sort of um, attitude that you do your ordinary life and then it goes on to other these other events i'll find that for you next time when when we talk and i apologize i should i i was actually using it for about a week uh just in my morning meditation to to kind of think about how yeah so how there is always a response there's always a response in you know in that existential time where where you have to spin a bit but how you how you settle into the midst of, midst of that i think you there are things you draw on from from before whether they are those mentors that you, you've seen handle difficult things themselves whether they whether it is you know it, 
your faith faith life which which you've drawn on and developed over a period of time you know you're you're looking for again that that well you know that that sustains you when you don't have when you go through those periods of time of what do i do now where am i how 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 do i navigate this and i think the things that i aspire to is yeah, to allow myself to have all those different feelings, but to always remember there is something on the other side of this. There is, there, there is something that, again, to my, you know, life and death, death and life metaphors, death and resurrection metaphors, uh, you know, sometimes things in ourselves have to die. Um, and not, and if we can be, have, have that sense of us that we're not afraid of that, Right. That's that so much of at least my first part of life is how not to succumb to the fears of I don't know what's coming next. What you know, you know, Adam, you'll you'll know my mentor, Dick Finch, you know, he used to always just talk about this Rolodex that, you know, you know, when you're going through a hard time and, and you're just spinning in the Rolodex, you know, granted, this is an old, you know, those younger than us era won't even understand that. But and we're just looking for a place to put that card. Mm-hmm. And once that card is placed, then we're okay. Well, my, my, my hope is always to, can, can I shorten that time of, of spinning where, or, or at least relax into the spinning that, that happens in the midst of that. Um, yeah. 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 Well, and, and when, um, when you've been through a number of crises or, you know, without going into detail, I, I went through a period in my life where my whole self identity just disappeared into a black hole. And I, I felt like I had lost everything. And it turned out to be the greatest gift of my life. Uh, and I've had interesting experiences along the way. Like I've had life and death experiences. I've had near death. I've, I've had a doctor tell me in the hospital that we don't think you're gonna make it through the night. Um, I actually found myself remembering, as you were talking, I found myself remembering uh, a mountain climb that I was on where we ended up in a near-death situation stuck on the side of a mountain. And I was all of uh, 20 years old and I was uh, talking, you know, trying to have a conversation with this really experienced climber that was ahead of me. I just said, you know, "How, how are you doing up there? How do you keep from being afraid? And I just will never forget and say, he looked back and he said, what do you mean? I'm just as scared as you are. Uh, and I said, well, how do you keep your cool? And he's like, I'm saying a prayer. <laughs> and, and, uh, and we got through that. And I came out the other side of that experience each time going, wow, that, that was an amazing life, life-affirming experience. And that I've learned since then that when I, you know, anxiety for me, starts actually getting me uh, wanting to lean into that because it tends to mean I'm going to strip away an unnecessary piece of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to get deeper to, to my core. And I, and I think about, um, you know, part of where I want to go today was, was looking at um, St. Augustine and the idea of authenticity. I was thinking about Kierkegaard and the progression from an aesthetic life to an ethical life to a religious life. 
uh, and thinking about just how um, crisis has a way of bringing us to, if we let it, some people get stumped by it mm -hmm. and, and you watch that, that something happened, a trauma or something, and they just are not able to get past it and they may not get past it in this lifetime, but often there's that gift uh, thinking about there's where faith maybe comes in to be able to anchor and get past that into gaining some wisdom through, uh, you know, I'm throwing out a lot of terms today, but the idea of sublimation and the idea of uh, transformation uh, that's possible through crisis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think looking, looking at both some of um, some of the theologians like, like Augustine or looking, you know, looking at some of the philosophers moving forward, it does, it does give us a, a picture into how people have come to terms with some of those things. So we probably don't have enough time to get real deep into those this time, but it does give us food, you know, for thought. Just quickly, one of the, I mean, one of the things that, you know, in, in thinking about, you know, you, you use the example of, um, oh, somebody that was addicted to drugs who then turned, turned it, you know, into a more positive addiction. I remember in college reading, reading a book called Positive Addiction and it made me, you know, there's a lot of questions I have with that, but, but what it really got me thinking about in, in what you're just saying is I remember when I was going through my internship, having my supervisor pastor say, Eric, you, you're, you're a good pastor now, but what's going to make you better is once you've experienced some things in life once you've experienced and i hated him saying that right as a 24 year old at the time just you know and it's also something that ticks me off a little bit about um alcoholics uh alcoholics anonymous even though now i understand it and i it, mm -hmm. you know it used to tick me off i should say that that really the only person that can really help an alcoholic, not the only person, but the ones that they tend to lean on the most are other alcoholics that have gotten through it. There is something about a shared wisdom and understanding that does help us learn and grow. And, and so once I experienced grief, loss, suddenly I could talk about it. Once I went through a divorce, suddenly I, I could understand it in a different way. Not, not that I couldn't learn that, that had done that before, but it, I guess it's got me thinking about the language of sublimation of thinking about how we, how we trans transfer those, those, those experiences that could be just negative and destroying to say, you know what, this just gives me a deeper well to draw from, um, to understand what, what propels us forward. And, and again, so when you're talking about those, those people that you look, looked up to that that had a faith that had had something they were drawing from um how yeah how do we not not only have to have those negative hard experiences but how, how emotionally can we also connect to those positive experiences as much as possible and, and grow and learn from there to understand in a deeper sense of what's going on um make sense 
It, it does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. interesting though. You, you brought up the AA thing, which is, you know, immediately made me think about, well, tend your own acre. Um, yeah. But you yeah. know, I, <laughs> there's an expression that the, the, the only people that cause the chaos in a, in a relationship with an alcoholic is the non-alcoholic that's uh, chasing after them. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's yeah. true. But what's interesting about the model there is actually there's some research that shows that a um, a sharing group, a community um, that meets regularly to uh, talk and share and just listen without passing judgment, without yeah. uh, diagnosing. Uh, this clinical psychologist ran a ran a, a study, and what was really uh, profound to me was he said that the positive effects of having a AA type meeting group uh, was um, superior to the cognitive therapy of traditional um, I read that too. Yeah, I read that same, and that, and, and I believe it now. It, like I, as a 25 year old, it just, like I said, just pissed me off more than anything. But now, um, you know, well, I have the, 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 I've seen it enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have the privilege as a, as an educator, I have the privilege of working with uh, students that have all kinds of life experience. And one of the groups I uh, work with are combat veterans. Hmm. And, um, and I have witnessed that just the process of being around other veterans that they, they, they talk about, you know, they, nobody would understand that wasn't, hadn't gone through it. And, you know, I'm not a veteran. Um, but I just know that that's this thing that I, I can't, I can have empathy and I can do uh, some amazing, you know, supportive work. And, and I've had some amazing projects, sublimation. I, I've had some of the most profound teaching experiences, some of the projects uh, that my veteran students have done. Uh, but just aware of just how important just that communal coming together. And I think about that in terms of why I continue to go to St. Mark's. I, I go there as much to be in community with uh, the people I've gotten to know over the last 20 plus years to see uh, those familiar faces and to feel an accountability to being there for those people um, gives me such a boost. And, uh, and it also reminds me of this other thing, which is um, the fact that just taking some time and writing down a gratitude journal, mm. if you do that for uh, three weeks, it has, and you stop, let's say you did it for three weeks and then you stopped writing the psychological boost that you will receive lasts for over six months. Wow. And so when I think about that in relation to faith and spirituality, um, for me, prayer is uh, an expression of gratitude. Yeah. And so just that uh, ways that we can bring that, that into our daily life to have a, an example of concrete example of how we can give ourselves a little boost to get through the challenges that we all face. Yeah. So one, one of the spiritual practices, and maybe this is how we'd end this, this time together on, on, on this one, Ira is, you know, it's called the examine. Mm -hmm. And we've done this with our youth at St. Mark's and they, they really like it maybe in part as a middle school 
young high school kid, it's because they'd rather talk about themselves and what's happening in their day than, you know, theology at that point. But um, the examine, part, part of that examine is just to take time in community to, to talk about what's, what was the most difficult part of my day and what was the, or, or week, usually we talk about it in a week and what, what's the best part? And to be able to, to, to celebrate and to, it, that, that gets into right in that gratitude, gratefulness type language. And so, and, and I think there is something about, you know, for, for all of us to be able to note and take time um, to see those things that, that can help sustain us moving forward. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this was fun. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. I yeah. look forward to kind of seeing where this goes. Good, good thoughts. Oh, after I have to read up a little bit more on sublimation. It, it's got me curious now because I haven't spent a lot of time time thinking about that. So I want to. Well, I'll, I'll do that. Thanks. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I'm just thinking about it too, and and of course, I'm only viewing the idea of sublimation through the lens of artistry. Uh, and I've done a lot of research in uh, theories about creativity. Most mm -hmm. of them actually um, are affiliated with ideas of mental illness. Uh, and of course, that uh, to me, um, when I think about working as a creative professional, I don't want it to necessarily be so, uh, uh, restricted to dealing with it from a perspective of mental uh, illness. But I have um, over time found there a relationship between theories of creativity that that initially start from a a crisis or a, a a need to put into harmonious place and 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 so that might start the initial interest in art making but it won't sustain it and that's why you end up with so many this the idea of the starving artists is that they just the the production of work is infrequent intermittent and it's dependent upon waiting for uh, inspiration and that inspiration always tending to be the negative life experience that one is responding to and so um, to get past that we move into uh, Skinner's or not Skinner uh, Maslow's hierarchy of human need and the idea that wait we have to get all of our life elements in alignment to get to a level of self-actualization to be free to be expressive and to be creative uh, not based upon a inspiration through crisis, but rather through a thriving through alignment and then ultimately getting to being peak performance through the idea of flow psychology uh, and the idea of getting into a level of engagement that is just completely immersive. Uh, and, and that's also then getting into the, the 10,000 hour rule of just getting better and better. Yeah. Um, so my um, original connection to the sublimation kind of started from there, but then coming across it again today in reading a, an article related to um, sort of the, the strategies that, you know, right now we have been in the stay home, stay healthy for an extended period of time to where um, some people are starting to go into crisis mode. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so looking at what are the strategies and, and, you know, thinking about anchoring and, and, and how important relationships are and how important having a, 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 um, 
a lens of which to process this uh, through that is healthy and, and positive and thinking about your personal philosophy of, of life and then uh, your spiritual uh, part of your life is an important part of that anchoring piece. But then ultimately, how can we grow from it? And that got me thinking about the sublimation part as we got mm-hmm. to that, that level there. Um, nice. So it was, uh, and, and then I started, you know, like I said, it's funny. Um, I keep having these experiences where information flows to me when I need it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I had left a um, article open on my browser for like the last six months that I hadn't revisited. And I was like, you know, it's, it's one of those things I leave my browser windows open indefinitely, it seems like. And then I'll go back about every month or so and I'll say, okay, I don't need this one anymore. And I came across this article about the seven uh, uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it just was really easy to map out an alignment between these mental strategies for dealing with crisis Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the the gifts and how, how we are equipped to handle it through the grace of God. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. One of the, you know, Luther, Luther talks when you, when you talk about, you know, gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, another name for the Holy Spirit is advocates and, and, and thinking of the Holy Spirit as one who advocates on our behalf in exactly who we are. Um, it's, it was sort of a, just came across that myself just recently and, and thinking about there's also, you know, there's the Holy Spirit as teacher, which is interesting. It's hitting some of these that I'm thinking about Luther's three, you know, and, and also the Holy Spirit who evokes, you know, things out of us um, as well. But yeah, that's yeah, very, very fun. Very fun. Well, I'm also, uh, I, I want to go a little bit further down the existential philosophy path because I am fascinated by the fact that, you know, Kierkegaard was uh, a pretty devout Lutheran. Yeah. Um, and of course, St. Augustine, the idea of authenticity and the idea that Nietzsche was largely misunderstood when he proclaimed God is dead. He was not saying that as a positive. He was saying that that was going to create a profound existential crisis in humanity uh, because we need we need that anchoring uh, mm-hmm. quality to it. So. Uh, I think it'd be fun to kind of explore that because I think a lot of our uh, struggles, if you will, with the issue of independent happiness versus communal and, and external um, external uh, criteria for evaluating our, our life versus internal, you know, passion versus, um, versus um, service, so to speak, mm-hmm. or, you know, or, mm-hmm. And how do you align that together is, is something I think worth exploring more. Absolutely. Yeah, sounds good. It'll be fun to see what, what we pick up with next time. Thank you for joining us today on The Spiritual Hedgehog. For show notes and more information, go to www.thespiritualhedgehog.com.